Did you know that a huge number of people in our community live in poverty? That probably doesn't surprise you, but do you know just how many? Well, the Abbotsford Community Foundation put out a survey in which they researched into this issue. And they found out that nearly one in five kids live in poverty. That's 20%. 20% of kids live in poverty. And then they went on and found out that one in seven seniors live in poverty. That's 14% of our seniors and 20% of our kids who live in poverty. That means that if we think about each of our streets or the uh, floor of the apartment building we live in, there's probably a number of people there who live in poverty. And that's just in our community by our definition of poverty. If we zoom out and look at the entire world, there are just so many people living in poverty. In fact, we know that 10% of our world lives on less than a dollar and 90 cents a day, and 4 billion people live on less than $2.50 a day. Poverty is a huge issue in our world. And that's why as we consider how we are to neighbor, how we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, as a church, we need to wrestle with loving our neighbor in poverty. And so today, what we're going to do is look at some biblical principles which will help us figure out how we go about doing this and tackling this significant problem in our world. We're also going to see what exactly the call and command of God is on his people, us as followers of Jesus, in response to the poor. So let's take a look at what scripture says by starting in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11. There we read, There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So there you have it, simple and straightforward. God acknowledges that there always has been poor and there always will be poor, but that is not an excuse to do nothing. He tells his people, the nation of Israel, that they are to live open-handed towards those in need. They are to, to give a hand up instead of walking by, ignoring, or maybe pushing down. We see further in Scripture, in Proverbs 14, 31, where God says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Again, this is really straightforward. It tells us that if we look down on, if we push down those in need, we're actually showing contempt to God. We're looking down on God, we're rejecting Him and pushing away what He wants. But if we respond with kindness and love to those in need, we're honoring God. We are showing him worship. And this makes a lot of sense when we look at the whole picture of all of Scripture. We see in the Bible that there is regularly this picture that we are spiritually impoverished. Our sin, the things that we do that go against God's commands, are described as a debt that we carry. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans writes, For the cost of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our sin leaves us in a place where we are spiritually in debt, and there's no way we can pay it back. We are told that there is no good work that we can do that can pay off the debt that we have accrued by our sinful lives. And so God, in his love and mercy, sent his son Jesus to live and die on the cross. And because he lived his life perfectly, because he's fully God and fully man, he's the only one with the spiritual bank account large enough to pay the debt that we have. 
So without Jesus, we are spiritually indebted, we are poor, we are defaulting, and that means that we are going to die and spend an eternity away from God. But because of Jesus, we have an opportunity to receive this free gift, this payment for our sin, so that we can live life to the full with everything that God desires for us. So out of this, we're called to respond with love. We respond with love by worshiping God, and one of the ways we worship God is by loving others. One of the best places that sums this up, one of my favorite verses is 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18, where we read this. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? So dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let's show the truth by our actions. We know what the real love of God is. And so out of that, we show real love to others. If you're going through life and you look at those in need and think, well, that's not my problem, you actually have a problem. Your problem is that you have not fully received and accepted the love that God has shown you. And so this tells us, if, if we're in a place where you hear this message about poverty and you think, well, some people just do it to themselves. If your gut reaction is, I don't need to get involved or I don't want to get involved, I would encourage you to consider the love of God that he has shown you. Because it is out of that that our lives should be transformed and we should respond in love to him and to others. But as we think about that, we might become, uh, you know, we're on side. We're like, yeah, I want to tackle poverty. I want to help those in need. But where do I start? I mean, if 13% of our community, uh, 20% of those being kids, you know, are in poverty, a whole bunch of seniors, and that's just here in Abbotsford, let alone around the world, we, we get overwhelmed. Like, wh where do we go? What's, what's the first step? Well, fortunately, Scripture has prescribed for us a, a, a number of principles that can help us figure out where we go. One of the best people who summarized this, and I'm, I'm going to take his illustration, is Pastor Kevin DeYoung. He gave us this picture of these concentric circles that Scripture gives us to understand who we are called first to love and to respond to their need, and then how we go down the line in order to figure out tackling this massive problem. So I'm going to steal a little bit of an illustration here from Pastor Kevin DeYoung, but don't worry, I'm making it better, because that's what you do when you steal an idea from someone. You take it and you make it better. But we see that Scripture tells us to start with those closest to you. So here we have you. You're right in the middle and you're wondering, okay, there's all this need spread out in the world. Who am I supposed to start by caring for? Well, the Bible says that you start with your family. And so we got your family here and they're the people that are all around you. God has placed them in your life. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, it says, if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul here is trying to get the church to understand if even unbelievers, even those who don't yet know the love of God, are willing to love their family and you're not, there is a problem. You are worse than the unbeliever. And so we see this really forceful language. 
God wants us to know, the Apostle Paul is telling us, that we need to love our families first and foremost. But then as we meet the the needs of our family, if we're able or we see other needs, we move on to the next category of people. And in this category, we don't see as much forceful language in Scripture, but there's still very strong indication that this group is who we love next. And that group is our local church. So I'm going to give us a little picture of a little local church here. And that's to remind us about our spiritual family. As you go through the New Testament, you see all over the place that we are called to care for the needs of our spiritual family. If you looked at Acts chapter 2, 4, or 6, if you looked at James chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, or if you look at 1 John chapter 3, you see that God urges us through the apostles that we are called to love our spiritual family, to love our church family. So that means for you and I, after we care for the needs of those in our immediate household, we got to start thinking about our household here. we got to think about our church family, the people of Emmanuel. If there's someone at Emmanuel who's in need, we're supposed to care for them. We're supposed to surround them together and meet those needs to the best of our abilities. That reminds me that if you are a person in need, if you're a part of our church and you have a need, we would love to help you. We have things like the Red Tree Pantry where we can provide food so you can have food on the table for your family. We have a benevolent fund that's generously supported by great people here in the church who want to help meet people's needs. And so we can help meet some of your needs financially through that. But we also have practical ways we'd love to help your needs. We have people who would love to come to your home and help you with projects. We have people who, you know, maybe they're, you're not great with numbers, but they are, and they would love to help you figure out your finances and your budget to help you meet your needs as well. As a church community, we're here together, and we need to support each other and surround each other. So as individual believers gather together, we care after ourselves for one another and as well for our local church family. But then who else does Scripture call us to love? Well, we see that we are called to love our global church community. So there's the big family of faith that we have. We don't just have our little local church here in Emmanuel, but we have churches all across the city, across our province, across our country, and around the world. And these are people who are actively trying to follow God together. And so we are called to love them. You'll notice this in places like 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, where Paul invites Christians to generously support other Christian communities. Now we know that this area is one that's, that's maybe not our first target because we see here that the language Paul has de-escalates a little bit. He's not quite as forceful, but he still says, hey, this is something that you should consider doing. And so we have our family, we have our local church, we have our local church community, and next we have the unbelieving world. We're called to still love those who do not believe. And so we have our unbelieving world after the global church community. These are the people who we might come across and we might see their needs. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 10, it tells us that we should view this as an opportunity. And that's what this is. This is all opportunities for us to worship God and to love others as ourselves. But as we look at this chart, what I don't want us to do is become legalistic about this. I don't want us to view this as uh, as a certain pecking order and we can never deviate outside of it. Because if we look at the example of Jesus, we see that everywhere that Jesus went, he met the needs of those around him. 
And so we too will do that. As we go through life, we are going to come across people in need. And as we meet their needs, we begin to look more and more like Jesus. So let's look to his example. As, as you go throughout your day and week, whether or not someone's part of your family or your church, maybe they're a complete stranger and you see them in need, stop, step in and help them out. This is what we are called to do. So that's our first principle. The first principle is start meeting the needs closest to you. The second principle I'd suggest is start with the needs that are the most significant and work towards the smaller or longer term needs. As we looked at last week in scripture, we were called to love the widow and the orphan. And God wants us to love those who are most vulnerable. And in ancient culture, those were the most vulnerable people groups. And God put a real emphasis on that. So we should understand by nature that we are called into caring for those who have the greatest needs, who are the closest. You know, they're on the brink of destruction or death in life. Those are the people we come and we meet their needs first. Why? Because they're the most significant and they are in the greatest need. And that shows the love of God once again. But then after that, we, we begin to work towards those with less immediate needs. We don't stop with one category, but we keep going as we are able. But finally, what we do is we want to stop and consider when we enter into caring for someone with long-term needs. I know that seems a bit surprising, but we see it actually in the early church. In 1 Timothy, we see that the early church said, hey, we're going to really consider the long-term needs of people like the widows in their community. And so they set up a list of requirements for who they were going to meet the needs of and, and how much. This was just an example of exhibiting godly wisdom in our care for others. And so we too should do the same. We work with the significant needs, work to the lesser needs, and then the long-term needs we, we thoughtfully, prayerfully, wisely consider as we go and help those in our community and in our path. Is there anybody, though, that we shouldn't care for? This was surprising to me, and, and, and you know, I, I never really thought about it before I would began thinking about this, or is there is actually a principle that there's people that we are not called to care for. In 2 John, verse 10 and 11, we are told that we are not to provide for false teachers. There are people in this world who are going around and they are preaching against the good news of Jesus. They're telling people that there is other ways to receive God, to experience eternal life, to live the true life. When people do that, we are told to turn our backs and to leave them beside the road. You know, we are just to leave them behind because if we assist them, we are actually aiding in them leading people away from God. There's a second category, though, and that category is people who are lazy. Now, I'm not talking about people who can't work for legitimate reasons. What I'm talking about is in Scripture, there is a constant reminder that we are not to be lazy. If you look through the book of Proverbs, time and time again, it tells us that laziness leads us down a path of destruction. It sends us spiraling down towards poverty. But it gets upped by the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We see that he says, if you don't work, you don't eat. And he even goes on to say that the church should enact spiritual discipline to those who choose not to, to help themselves and help those around them because they're just being leeches on the church and the good faith that 
where people are loving their neighbors as themselves. And so we are actually to turn our backs on them so that we can care for those who have genuine needs. So we have these principles for how we're supposed to go about this. But the question then is, what's next? How do we actually get involved? How do you and I, how do we together as a church family really meet the needs of our neighbor in poverty? Well, while there's not a a strict set of scriptural answers that say do this, this, and this, I believe there's some biblical principles we can pull out. And I would encourage us to think of three things. To prepare, to pray, and to give. So the first thing we do is we prepare. And we start by preparing our hearts and our hands. We prepare our hearts by reminding ourselves of the transformative love of Jesus. We remind ourselves of the work the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. And we allow that to be the leading for us. We, we don't ever want to love people out of pity, out of guilt, out of, of some set of alternative ulterior motives. What we want to do is love people out of a gospel-guided compassion. We want to meet their needs out of worshipful posture towards God. And so this is what we do. We prepare our hearts. We reflect on God. We think about who are these other people? Who are they before God? And we go about preparing to meet their needs. And that's the preparing our hands. Are, are your hands empty? Or are they open towards being a, with full of stuff towards being able to meet the needs of others? practically what this might look like is preparing ourselves financially in our budget have we left room so we can meet the needs of others so we can care for those in our community and around the world or do we keep everything for ourselves the second thing is are have we prepared our schedule do we even have time to spend with people so that we can get to know them and get to know their needs and spend time meeting their needs? Because as we'll see when we get to give, there's a lot that we can give if we free ourselves up, if we prepare our hearts and our hands. And while we do this preparing, we also pray. And I put pray in the middle because it should be the all-encompassing thing here. It, it should go before the preparation, during the preparation, as we think about giving. It's an ongoing thing. And so it's central to everything. And so we pray. We, we take advantage of the fact that we have the Holy Spirit and we invite him to do a work in our life and to pre- us, but we also ask him to guide us to see the opportunities that we would no longer be blind to our neighbors in poverty, but we would see the opportunity so we can love them like God loves them, so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. And this is what the early church did as we think about all of these things. In Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 32 to 35, we read that all the believers were one in heart and in mind. That no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything that they had. And with the great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that, they, that there were no needy persons amongst them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone in need. So they prepare themselves. They get each themselves in, in the same heart and mind. And they're praying through this. And they're praying for the needs. And as they're prompted, they, they prepare to the finances. And then they go as the Holy Spirit guides and they give. 
we see that, that they lay the money down at the apostles' feet so it can be distributed to anyone in need. This is our final step. We actually need to take the step of giving. Some of us are in the right heart space. We're in the right mind space. But for some reason, we haven't got fully there. So maybe we aren't all the way right. But we're, we're, we're starting there, but we, we still can't quite give. Well, we're called to give. This is the actual action. This is the worship that we're bringing before God. And so this is the thing you need to step up to. Maybe you have a neighbor who really has a need that you can, can meet financially, whether that's giving them uh, some funds or whether that's buying them some groceries. Maybe they don't have the, the time, the tools, the talent to, to repair something and they just can't afford to pay for someone to do it. Come and spend the time that you have and what God has given you to give them. We bless out of what we are blessed with. We recognize, as it said earlier in Scripture, that we don't think of these things as our own, but as God. And so we give freely. One of the things I love to do is we constantly have uh, uh, people who are homeless or coming down from their highs who camp out outside of our church. And so oftentimes when I end up going out to speak to them, I, I talk to them and I ask them if there's anything we can do to help. And sometimes that looks like uh, helping them find housing and we point them towards shelters. Sometimes it means that we help point them towards recovery houses where they can get help for, for their issues that are creating this need. We also, and always, what I do is I offer them something to eat and something to drink, whether it's a cup of coffee, a bottle of water, some food to eat out of the pantry. These are things we, we practically do. And so we give and we should do that out of our, ourselves too. I try to do that out of my own life, not just out of the church. And, but we do all of these things. We give graciously. Maybe you, do, you don't know exactly how to give and you don't see the immediate need. I would invite you also to, to bring your gifts to the church so that we together can make a, a multiplication uh, aspect where we just make a huge impact in our world. We do that through things like our benevolent fund, through the Red Tree Pantry, but we also do that by partnering with our, our partners overseas in, in Guatemala and in India. These are people who are meeting the needs of, of those in poverty around the world. And so we partner with them and we give towards them and we support them because they are meeting real tangible needs. And in all this, we never forget that there is a, the greatest need, which is our spiritual need. And so we give our story, we share the gospel, and we bring that before those in need so they, they might have the fulfillment of what it means to have God meet them in their need and pay their debt so that they might live life and enjoy loving others and loving God as well. And so, church, that's my challenge for you. Prepare. Prepare your heart and your hands. Pray in all of these things that the Holy Spirit would lead and give. Give generously. Give lavishly as God has given to us. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to wrestle through what your word says about those in need in our community. God, I thank you that you have given us an abundance here at the church. And Lord, we know we have those in need in our church family, so help us to, to meet their needs. But Lord God, we recognize that we uh, live in a place and a time where we have incredible wealth compared to uh, centuries before, compared to places all over the world now. And so Lord God, will we be good stewards with what you have given us as we love our neighbors as ourselves. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would guide us. 
Would you open our eyes to see the need? Would you allow us to be prompted to move into the opportunities? And would you use us to meet needs that are physical, that are relational, that are emotional, that are spiritual? Lord God, would, would you use us to uh, do everything that you want to see for these individuals' lives in our community. God, I think is I think a 20% of kids and, and 14% of seniors, a whole 13% of our community in poverty, God, I want to see that change. So would you help us as a church, uh, not just as a manual, but as local churches together, would we rally together with one another to see the change that you call us to make Lord God, that you want to make through us ultimately. And God, we just thank you for this invitation into how you are working. And so I pray now that we would worship you this week by loving you, by loving others. And we pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.